Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. So, at the end of last week's episode, we said that we would kind of be leaving it up to the listeners what would happen uh, over the course of the next few weeks. And uh, in, in particular, <laughs> there was a question about whether or not to include Avengers Endgame in the summer movie wager this year. There was I a, don't think there was a question. There was a yeah. very clear and well enunciated, <laughs> obviously, a question, a question that was so just so perfectly framed that uh, there left no ambiguity as to what we wanted to do or not do. Oh. Yeah. 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 Um, so first of all, I, I want people to be clear on a few things. Um, number one, uh, the conversation at the after dark last week is a perfect representation of how we organize the show. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, if yeah. you're wondering like it's all the behind unique. the scenes, uh, that is how much work goes into every minor decision. Like that, imagine like that conversation <laughs> happening for every what we've been watching that we discuss, and like you have a sense of uh, of what we do to make the show, right? So just want yeah. to call that out, right? But also, I, I got a lot of crap for like basically everyone. That after dark <laughs> segment made everyone hate me. I think is really yeah, how it I did not go it. the way you expected, did it? <laughs> <laughs> this um, was your Brexit, David. <laughs> this is your my, Cameron. This is my version of Brexit. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, I I, I think uh, like uh, many people said it was very very dumb to offer only two choices. <laughs> of um yeah uh, of like starting the summer movie wager uh, for Avengers Endgame or on Memorial Day like that by the that, way that... The, only, the only wise choice was uh, somehow omitted from the uh, the quiz yeah, I, I love, love if only if only every other person on the call had said that to you Dave yeah, if only if it's literally everyone else had said that in the in the time in as, the, as, uh... up, we are going forward with this public <laughs> opinion it's gonna happen. <laughs> Well, the, here's the reason. I could not live with the hardware strategy because I'm like, dude, we should either include Endgame or not. I like, I did not. Anyway, we don't need to relitigate it. But the point being, <laughs> Jason, so first of all, the people have spoken. Endgame will be in the summer movie wager. However, yeah. uh, we were able David to carve... will resign as prime minister. Yeah. Effective immediately. <laughs> uh, we, we were able to carve out some time later in the month to do the summer movie wager. So today we're going to be reviewing... Uh, the Matrix, doing a 20th anniversary retrospective on The Matrix uh, today. Next week, uh, we'll be doing – well, you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear what we'll be doing in the next few weeks on the podcast later on. But um, just wanted to call out that uh, Summer Movie Wager will happen. It will include Avengers Endgame. It will be recorded in the month of April. So uh, get your get your list ready. I also wanted to give a shout-out to Jason Rhodes and the Slack Filmcast, which you can join at slackfilmcast.com who listed out the Summer Movie Wager first movie uh, every year for the last 12 years. And basically, he he pointed out that in, in pretty much every single year for the last 12 years, we have started in May uh, and April a couple of times. Um, so like 2007, <laughs> yeah. May 4th. If, Spider- if only this data were widely available or known <laughs> to the participants. <laughs> uh, 2007, May 4th, Spider-Man 3. 2008, May 2nd, Iron Man. And uh, most recently... Uh, 2017, May 5th, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. 2016, May 20th, Angry Birds Neighbors 2. I don't know why that's the case, but anyway. Um, so Gotta get that Angry Birds in there, baby. So it really wasn't, uh, you yeah. know, it really it's wasn't. It's almost like the entire discussion was a <laughs> tremendous waste of time for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. And we're all stupider for having heard it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, message received, loud and clear. Uh, and Avengers Endgame will be in the summer movie wager. Um, so the terrorists win. You guys, congratulations. <laughs> um, no, I'm just. I, re- I really, at some point, we need to talk about like when did the kernel of the idea that this was a problem for you, Dave? <laughs> I really wonder when it started. Do you just wake I, up one morning and be like, "This doesn't make sense"? It's <laughs> the idea of it being in April, right? The, the fact that it yeah, was April yeah. is what got under your skin, right, Dave? Well, no, no. The I, I I think I expressed it very clearly, which is basically that we got several complaints of like, "Why did you even include this? It's going to be first. It's making the list less interesting." Um, and that that's complaints from email addresses such as Blavid Blend and uh, uh, Mavid Men, Shavid yeah. Den, and... <laughs> Shavid Den. Yeah, uh, yes, but but when presented with a perfectly good strategy for fixing that, uh, we we were like, no, nah, no. Nah. Well, <laughs> now because now like now that we've had the conversation, I'm cooking. I'm cooking like maybe I should put something else in first place. Maybe just <laughs> yes, to spite yeah. you, just to spite Please. you guys, just to make it so that Please the hard war strategy wouldn't have worked. You know. Uh, so I'm thinking you about will it. Purposefully lose just out of spite. I'm thinking That's about great. it. I'm thinking about great. it. Do so. it, please do it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, anyway, we have a very special guest on for our review of the Matrix, uh, and uh, we're going to get to it in a moment. Uh, before we do that, we just want to thank all the donors who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, new subscribers at the rate of two dollars per month: Joseph Johnston, Ben Richards, Del Nakamura, Optipes. Roy Rubin, I think that's how you pronounce that. Anyway, sorry if I got any of those wrong. <laughs> Feel free to write in and, and correct me. Uh, thanks also to donors Chad Franks, Boyd Martis, Robert Clark, Ben Richards, and Joseph Johnson, who writes into the podcast. Dave Devinger and Jeff, I started listening to the Slash Filmcast two and a half years ago, the summer before I started grad school. Your excitement about film and positivity about life have been a highlight of every week since. I just passed my qualifying exam, so I wanted to send a donation as a thank you for helping me get through all my homework and studying. Looking forward to your next 500 episodes. Best, Joe. Thanks hey, so much, congratulations, Joe. congratulations, yeah. Joe, on getting through. Wow. Congrats on the qualifying exam, and glad that um, our very important discussions about uh, what should be in the summer movie wager were help to, here to help you, entertain you, right, throughout that whole process. So, if you want to contribute, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast for a one-time donation. Please do not donate if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you want to throw some cash our way and uh, have extra money to spare, we'd appreciate it. It does help us defray the cost of doing the show, seeing movies, putting it on for you. So, yeah, that's all the donors this week. Let's get to our review of The Matrix. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? It's the question that drives us, Neo. What is the Matrix? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You are a slave born into a prison for your mind. The Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. Try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. That was from the trailer for The Matrix, and we are the Slash Filmcast broadcasting on the 20th anniversary, or very close to the 20th anniversary, of the film's release way back in 1999. Uh, So in order to get a guest for this episode of the show. I put the call out on Twitter. I, I asked uh, Twitter, hey, 
who on Twitter uh, is the person who you think is most knowledgeable about the Matrix? And I got, I don't know, dozens of responses. Uh, All the but, people that suggested Keanu, we heard you. Yeah, <laughs> we did. He was not available. He was not yeah. available. That's true. That's true. So we took one day. the one second day. best thing, uh, which is many, many people responded with one name. Uh, and that name is the name belonging to the person who is a guest on the Slash Filmcast today. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic. He's also the co-host and co-founder of the Blank Check podcast. David Sims, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. David, how are you doing today? I'm good. I am very much a, a distant second to Keanu Reeves, but I, I do appreciate being here. Thank you so much for having me. As are we all in all respects. Yes, in every respect. We really appreciate you being here, uh, too, David. Uh, David Sims has written a piece for The Atlantic uh, about The Matrix entitled A Movie Like The Matrix Might Never Happen Again. Uh, this was published on March 31st to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the film. Uh, I just want to say before we begin that I'm a huge fan of uh, David and Griffin's podcast, Blank Check, uh, which is a podcast that I think anyone who listens to the Slash Filmcast and enjoys it would probably like that podcast as well. Um, so, uh, strongly recommend check that out. Um, but let's dive into the matrix right now. And I think a way to start this conversation is to kind of talk about our most recent viewing experience of the matrix and also our first viewing experience of the matrix, right? We all recently rewatched the matrix on its 20th anniversary. Uh, and uh, there's probably like things that struck us differently this time around. So I want to talk about like, what was your reaction to it? most recently and then feel free to share about your first reaction to it as well david sims i'll start with you uh sure um i recently i knew the anniversary was coming up and uh um in new york and the alamo draft house had a whole wachowskis series that they did and i went to see um the sequels the matrix sequels in the theater because i had not seen them in the theater you know i i i knew that would be a funny and strange experience and then I, after doing that, I rushed right back and uh, and watched The Matrix at home. Now I've seen The Matrix, you know, do- dozens of times. I would say uh, over the years, I owned it on VHS or whatever. I, I've like I've had it. I, pay, I paid in my library since I was a teenager. I paid twenty five dollars for like a a widescreen VHS copy from Suncoast. Right. Video. Yeah. Oh man. Coast, Hell that yeah. was that was cheap yeah. for VHS. I remember, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 And I I mean, I probably hadn't seen it in a couple years. The probably last time I watched it was probably for my podcast whenever uh, we recorded that episode a couple years ago, but uh it's just uh I always find it's a movie that I I remember every beat of. It's not just the the lines that I, you know, the iconic lines I can quote back. I remember like that Keanu's hand is gonna like poke out and 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 stick Agent Smith in the neck in that little kung fu scene they have. The crowd cheers when that happens. Yeah, I remember all those little things. Like you may block the punch, but you cannot block the fingers. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I I always think about it where I'm like, is that just is that just to irk him? Like, there. I mean, you know, there's no tactical advantage to, to just sort of poking him in the neck. There is there. Like he's a an unkillable computer. It's true. Um, he doesn't need to breathe. It doesn't matter if you like poke him in the neck. Yeah. And so it has for a little for me become a little bit one of those movies that you're sort of you can almost it's hard to look at it with a critical eye anymore because you're just so familiar with it. Um, and I did have to look at it with a critical eye a little bit because I was supposed to write about it. Um, but uh, I I just uh, 
I like all of the Wachowskis movies. I like the sequels to the Matrix movies. I like, you know, all of their more difficult and inaccessible works. Uh, Speed Racer! Speed Racer is is magnificent. Uh, Cloud Atlas, uh, you know, is a a lovely film. But um, I, I, I will, there is something magical about the Matrix where you're like, I can't mm-hmm. believe they, which is what I wrote about, was like, I can't believe they pulled this off and it's coherent, like, that they sort of dumped all these influences and all their sort of, like, fascinations into this one hero journey action movie, and it, like, you know, it all just sort of, like, makes sense. Yeah, uh, I so I kind of went back into the archives for this episode of the podcast. I rewatched The Matrix. I rewatched The Matrix Revisited, which is... Oh, uh, so yeah. I, I saw yeah, The Matrix. That good. Uh, so, so I owned that. Uh, yeah, um, so I, act- I have the 4K Blu-ray of The Matrix, and the uh, there's a 4K UHD version, and then there's a Blu-ray that has The Matrix Revisited on it, and that movie was shot in, like, 4x3 format, um, so it, like, looks pretty rough, uh, but what was, what was kind of hilarious about that, watching The Matrix Revisited, was uh, that it was clearly released as, a pr- like, a way to promote The Matrix sequels. So there's this whole section at the beginning about how they're working really hard on The Matrix Reloaded and, and Revolutions. Uh, Don't worry, guys. It's going to be good. It's, it's going to be great. great. It's going to be great. Um, and so... Dude, uh, I yeah. could not have been more excited about anything. Right? When I heard they were Damn. finally were making two sequels to The Matrix. Are you yeah, kidding yeah, me? Yeah. Uh, In but, the same year, nothing could go wrong with that plan. Let's just dump them all within six months of each other. So, so I, I want to point a couple things out. First of all, um, uh, David Sims uh, has mount, mounted probably the most convincing defense of The Matrix Reloaded uh, ever put to tape <laughs> I on like the Blackjack Podcast, right? I still like it's a that. great movie. Uh, which, um, which episode do – you, do you recall which episode that was David Sims by any chance? It's the Matrix Reloaded. We, I mean, we had a Wachowski's miniseries, so we did one episode per movie, and uh, and the Matrix ones, which we recorded, I think, very close together. You know, they get real loopy, but uh, yeah. Reloaded is where I am trying to at least, uh, at least explain what they're what they're trying to get at with it. Even though I, yeah, I understand that, especially on first viewing, it is. An extremely unsympathetic to the audience. It is an incredible, yeah. It, way to put it. it is an incredible oh, defense of the film, and I'd recommend anyone. I don't think we're probably going to get to it today on no, this that's, episode. Of course not. Yeah, it's um, a whole other it. ball of yarn. Yeah. Can, can but, I say something about Reloaded though? Like that is that movie was one of those perfect cinematic memories where during the Zion rave scene, that thing was just like going on and on, and I looked around at the audience. And everyone else was just like looking at each other. It's like, what? Is, what is happening? <laughs> what are we watching? Yeah, I love them. Uh, but watching the Matrix Revisited, David, you know, uh, I, I was thinking about how uh, it, it really is remarkable. Yeah, yeah all these uh, influences: anime, John Woo films, Eastern mm-hmm. and Western philosophy. Uh, like all this stuff just comes together uh, in a, a package that was not at all like success was not at all assured. They were inventing new technologies to make this movie work and uh the fact that people gave them 60 million dollars to do it the fact that they achieved it and that it was not only good but great amazing even one of the best films of the last decade or a couple decades uh Mm -hmm. is remarkable and so uh that that was what i was struck by watching the matrix revisited again was how unlikely it was that this movie would be uh, successful so my favorite thing about that sentence dave is that we are literally here Doing this podcast because it is the twentieth anniversary of the Matrix, and you said it's one of the best movies of the last decade. Yeah, <laughs> I said decades. 
Jeff. Decades. <laughs> you know, it did, didn't quite compute. You said decade or couple decades. Couple yeah, decades. We're, couple decades. The, the entire reason we're here <laughs> is that it's two decades. Two decades, Jeff. <laughs> two decades. I'm just I also just we're we're all old now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, Devinder Hardwar. Uh, as you rewatch The Matrix again recently, yes. w- w- thoughts that flowed through your head. So the main thing I was I first of all I really wish I was able to see this in the theater again. It is criminal that this this event, this momentous event in pop culture happened and we did not celebrate it as we should. And I, I think there was like one or two screenings at the Alamo here in New York. But yeah, I, well, I it's because all like the movie theaters been. were taken up with uh, the Cruel Intentions 20th anniversary. I don't know. This if you is saw true. Yeah, this is true. All the all the important stuff. Yep. Uh, Ten things I hate about you. We also have to celebrate that, and I will celebrate that. Great but, movie. Yeah, <laughs> great movie. Um, but the Matrix, I really want. I, I think I only saw it once on the big screen, honestly, because it was like in the middle of high school for me. So I was sad that we didn't really get to celebrate this movie as much as we should have. But yeah, watching the 4K Blu-ray. You know, this movie is revamped in HDR, in Dolby Vision, with Dolby Atmos sound. It looks better than I can even remember. Certainly better than it did in, you know, a crappy theater I saw it in Hartford. Uh, Everything's so crisp, so clean. I'm glad, um, this is a geeky thing, I'm glad they kind of fixed the color grading. Because, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when the Matrix uh, hit Blu-ray, they remastered the first movie, to basically be a bit more green, like Reloaded and Revolutions were. And that always kind of irked me, because my Matrix DVD, I watched it so much, it was it was bluish. It was a little different, and it was really weird to see it in HD, and you know, just very differently than what I remembered. Uh, this release kind of cuts that back a little, and I kind of appreciate that. Uh, on the tech side of things, like this movie just looks amazing. I think they did a great job with like the HDR stuff. Like, if you have a TV that supports it, um, the explosions. Uh, my favorite shot uh, to show off HDR is like the slow fire explosion when they blow up the elevator. Uh, tremendous. Chef's kiss. Perfect. Uh, this movie still looks amazing. I think it works so well. And when we talk about cultural relevancy, I, I <laughs> this is it. This is it. Jeff, when we're talking about cultural relevancy, like this is what I'm saying, like a movie that everybody copied a movie that everybody references a movie where the entire culture we can all remember specific scenes and moments uh you david like you mentioned you know these fingers popping out to you know chop agent smith in the neck like that that's it that's a half second moment and we all have that in our consciousness i think and i think that it just goes to show like the power of this movie so i've always loved it it's been kind of tough to be a matrix fan i think originally it was great everybody loved it then um you know I think the fandom itself got a little annoying. Uh, it's been parodied time and time again since the release of this movie. Then the uh, the MRAs happened. And then, like, the, the, what, the red pill crap happened. And it got so weird to truly love this movie. But I think now with the revival, I can, you know, you could look back and just say how important this movie is. Um, I've always considered it one of the most important movies ever made. And it still seems like that 20 years later. Yeah. Uh, to comment on what you said, yeah, uh, the, <laughs> I, I, I was Googling for the uh, color grading would change right and there is mm-hmm. this thread on this uh this website called reset era i think and the title of the thread is the matrix no longer looks like puke green in its uhd yeah. release and they have like a yeah. screenshot of the blu-ray and a screenshot of the uh, ultra hd version and wow it is very very different so this they new ruined fo- it they ruined it on blu-ray right. it's insane the, the new 4k release is is highly recommended um so jeff Kanata. Uh, your thoughts on The Matrix 20 years later. 
I'm certainly on board for this being culturally relevant. Uh, I, you will get no argument from me. You, you, you need not uh, persuade me. I mean, it is, um, it's crazy to me sitting here 20 years later that this came out in 1999 because <clears throat> if you had just asked me, if I had not been aware of, you know, the last few years, I'm not really thinking about the Matrix too much, you'd asked me what year it came out, I would have said much earlier. Uh, I was working at a movie theater for, for the years that I was in high school, and I remember vividly uh, the year that Speed came out, 1994, uh-huh. and it being this absolute gobsmacking, uh, what, Keanu Reeves can do something good? What? And I remember us getting the poster for Speed early. And uh, all laughing about a bus and Keanu Reeves and thinking it was going to be a terrible movie. And then just being bowled over by how great speed was. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the Matrix, the build up to the Matrix and going, no, Keanu's good now. Keanu's good. good. (laughs) I have to say, though, Jeff, there was no love for Bill and Ted uh, among your your friend group. No love for Point Break? Come on. Well, (laughs) both both of those things can be loved in a way that you wouldn't. That you wouldn't uh, be surprised that we'd be laughing at a straight-up action movie starring the same guy. Like these, those are sure, sure. ironic joys. Uh, those are joys where you're in on the gag. It's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look how ridiculous yeah. Keanu is. But Point Break is like literally a straight-up action movie too. Like, and still one of the best. So it's it seemed like yeah. a logical transition. I guess we kind of forgot too. Like Point Break, I don't remember in the '90s. I don't even remember if I saw that movie back then. So I don't remember what cultural impact that movie had at the time. But but my recollection, the reason I'm even bringing all of this up is that my recollection of it is so flawed because I would mm-hmm. never have told you that there were five years between Speed and The Matrix. It feels like a bang bang in in the <laughs> in my head, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and and you know there are two sides to cultural relevance as well because I also wouldn't been, have been able to tell you that The Matrix came out on March 31st in 1999, 1999 and the Columbine shooting was april 20th Jeez, yeah i you know it seemed to me like the matrix was around and we were all loving it and it was this thing and then columbine happened and it sort of recontextualized it for me and you know black coats and lots of guns were 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 marred in my my brain and it it didn't feel like that close i mean that's just three weeks later that's insane i think that was also an event that made me rethink like man I'm sure the Wachowskis, like when they were making this, like had no clue how their work could be bastardized at the time. Uh, But that was definitely the first sign. Like, oh, shit, this thing is so powerful. People are going to go crazy with it in in wild and terrible ways. Yeah. I mean, and and that the fact that that happened so quickly after that, I would never been able to tell you. Like, I'm looking at the facts now, but it it's a crazy thing how that that time doesn't seem as compressed. It seems. The Matrix was such a had such a big footprint on my life that it it feels like it was longer ago and it feels like it was around for longer for all those things. And, yeah, and it it changed everything. Uh, It sort of single handedly brought, uh, uh, you know, Chinese martial arts choreography Mm -hmm. into the West. So basically good choreography. Into, yeah, into Hollywood action movies because like it, this was it basically start, right? it allowed Jackie Chan to have a career in America. Like that movie single handedly did that. Um, it, it, it had a huge 
impact on filmmaking. I think. Well, R- Rumble it, in the Bronx came out in 1995. Yeah. I just the Jackie Chan revival. It was his second revival in America. It did it did start a couple of years before yeah. the Matrix. Yeah, but, but I, yeah. I agree with you that yes. that the Matrix introduced martial arts into mainstream action films in a big way, right? And actually, like Chad Stahelski did an interview with Vulture about this, where he's like, before the Matrix, uh, most of the uh, action scenes uh, would be quote single gun battle stuff or Arnold Schwarzenegger pummeling you to death with his hands. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with a catchphrase. Like, like car that, that's cha- action. Yeah, car chases, horse chases, helicopter chases, motorboat chases, um, that kind of stuff. And then after The Matrix, right, we have movies like uh, John Wick, also starring Keanu Reeves, right? Like movies where martial arts and, and hand-to-hand combat is a huge part of it. Um, and uh, well, Chad was like his – he was his uh, body double, right? Yeah, stunt double, yeah. Yep. Stunt double. And now he's directing the, the John Wick movies. That's but right. the thing is like every every single movie – Every single like you couldn't be an action movie, uh, and not like recognize what the Matrix did. I mean, look basically. at like like Charlie's Angels, you know, yeah. like the Charlie's yeah. Angels yeah. franchise. Like, just it, it is in, its entire identity is influenced <laughs> by the Matrix, right? Um, yeah. it, I think. It, by the way, what we're saying is also making the actors kind of do the work at least have some sort of training um, oh yeah like that, a, that was another thing that's that's a big stru- thing that was another thing that stuck out to me when i was watching the matrix revisited is uh that like it was joel silver recounting talking to the wachowskis and saying mm-hmm. hey uh don't worry wachowskis we're gonna we'll, we'll get the people that know how to do the martial arts and they'll be the stunt doubles for all the thing and it was super important to them to the Wachowskis, yeah. that Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, like that they all actually did the things themselves. And they had to train for months, like four months to do it. Uh, yeah. That that was Never not necessarily before. And now it's like, it's not common, but it's still a thing I think some people would expect for certain action movies. Right. Yeah. 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 So, Jeff, I anyway, want to let you finish up and then. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm dragging on here, but it, it, it really. Um, it, it impacted me as a – I think the, the film also has uh, comic book sensibilities and uh, the frames are composed in ways that we weren't really seeing very many people do in that way. You know, They, they really felt like comic book frames uh, in a lot of ways um, and I think that has had a long-lasting shadow mm-hmm. and you know, kind of brought into to, to the, the – lexicon of film uh, a a visual style that i think has you know really taken over uh and i you know i was obsessed with this movie i loved this movie i watched it many 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 times uh i haven't watched it in many years uh but but around that time in the early 2000s i loved this movie my roommate uh at the at the time actually worked on the matrix reloaded uh he was uh, on set for the big um the big um burly uh, brawl free no the freeway yeah. chase oh, they, man. Built, yeah, they literally the built the best part of that movie yeah, yeah. they built in a freeway for that movie in Los Angeles and he participated and so like we were all it just was part of my filmic passion for so so long and it's cool to come back to it because i haven't watched it in in so many years and there's a lot of stuff i'm sure we'll get to that uh, I remembered, but didn't remember exactly the way it played out. I, 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 you know, like like David was saying, there are indelible marks, and there's so much of this movie that is just stamped in my brain. But revisiting it, I feel like I could have 
you know, told you many, many lines from this movie, told you all the sequences, but in rewatching, I was like, Oh yeah, that comes before that. Oh, oh that, yeah. you yeah. know, it's, it was a really fun experience revisiting the matrix and, and watching with fresh eyes and kind of seeing it in the light of, you know, countless superhero movies and how genre film itself has taken over Hollywood. We didn't have genre movies like this at the clip. We get them now. This was very special. This, this sensibility, this sort of smart sci-fi action movie, we didn't get that. that yeah, this the, was the beginning, those. right? This yeah. was the beginning of big genre risks. And I, you know, Lord of the Rings was happening amidst right. all this, and that was an even bigger gamble. Though. Yeah. 2001, yeah, but that was a bigger gamble, and that took like years to prep. I remember like hearing about all the prep for that, but like, yeah, without the Matrix, I don't think we would have gotten like, you know, with the superhero movies where we are now. In a way, like it's all it all kind of directly leads to that. Yeah, and and you know, basically, the Matrix is a superhero origin story, mm-hmm. um, very very much so. So, uh, and I remember freaking out about that when I watched the movie for the first time and seeing him fly away and going, he's a super, he's Superman. This is a Superman <laughs> origin story. Best final, one of the best final shots. Ever. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. I'll share a few thoughts and then let's dive into the actual film itself. And of course we should say that the movie's 20 years old and probably everyone who's listening has seen the movie, but we will spoil the hell out of this thing. Um, so I uh, want to echo David Sims thoughts about, uh, the like knowing like watching the movie so much that you kind of know it in a way that you don't know other movies like I, I would memorize portions of, of the script and kind of like say them along as I rewatched it on my widescreen VHS kind of thing. Uh, so huge fan, very influential movie, obviously. Um, and coming, you know, coming back to it, I'll just give like two to three high level thoughts about my reactions. Number one. This movie gave so much to the culture, right? There are so many moments in this movie. There's so many moments that have become memes, right? So many elements of the style, right? From the uh, the, the the styles, obviously, but also the, like the martial also arts. The, the, yep. the classic the classic definition of meme. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you use that term now, and it, it I think it has a lot of baggage on it. It was a meme in the sense that it it lodged into the brains of yep. of human culture and not not in the sense that people forwarded it around and went lol at it you know? no no but it's well i would say it's both jeff i mean there's many memes based on the matrix right there's uh literally like what if i told you blank 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 like if you go to like meme generator or whatever uh there's several things on there that are screenshots from the matrix like the the morpheus meme uh neo going whoa uh switch saying not like this i mean there's like so many moments that people have like repeated on social media decades later. And um, so it's both. It's both. It's both that it was like a, it lodged into the the memory, but also that like literally it has become memes. And I think that's a testament to how memorable so many of the moments are. The other thing is, it's interesting to look back at this as the kind of um, uh, one vision of the future of AI, right? And we just saw, like, Ex Machina was a movie that came out a couple years ago, which also expressed kind of fears of AI. But this movie, which came out roughly around the time when I think many of us were still using dial-up modems at home. And, uh, like, I remember when I got to college and getting, like, a DSL line. That was amazing, mm-hmm. right? I was like, I've never experienced internet this fast. Yeah, this was pre-broadband um, for most people. This is pre-broadband, yeah. broadband, right? And so, and so uh, the fear that people had 
of uh, AI and technology came in the form of machines like the Terminator, right? It was like we we imagined that it would be like we. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, networked AI that's going to take down our power grid or anything. It's like literally physical devices that we're going to have to go to war against. Yeah. Uh, it's also, and- by the way, it, it's kind of interesting seeing this vision of evil robots versus the Terminator, right? Because even Terminator Two, the idea of a global, you know, network yeah. that we're all plugged into. And that is, you know, the uh, the veil in front of reality. Uh, that would have been you couldn't even understand that back then. Like you needed the internet, you need the concept of the internet to even explain a movie like The Matrix and what they were trying to say. Yeah. But I also feel like The Matrix, rewatching it now, it feels like it could have been written today. Oh yeah. It would yeah. still. It would actually be more relevant because we're sort of dealing with that fear manifest. You know, people are actually writing articles about how. You know, maybe all this AI stuff that that the big tech companies are working on is maybe we should pump the brakes on some of that. You know, it's, guys, it, guys, people are talking about hacking the simulation of reality right now. You know, yeah. like I was at South by Southwest. George Hotz, uh, you know, Geo Hotz, a hacker famous for uh, cracking the iPhone and uh, PlayStation Three, I believe. He had a whole panel where he's just like, "Hey, guys, I think I'm gonna think we're gonna try to crack reality. Uh, let's see, let's see where it goes." <laughs> and th- this is the thing people are talking about. It's just hilarious. Yeah, Elon um, Musk is is you know, saying that the probability of us actually living in a matrix is is high. You know, people <laughs> actually believe that's a possibility yeah. for real life. It's a metaphor that has utility in almost, in almost any. That's why it's so mm-hmm. good. It's like in this movie and in, and in the sequels, they sort of talk about it as like, well, do you feel depressed or like disconnected from reality? Well, the reason is that you, you know, you're actually sitting in a pod and, you know, the reality is fake and only you've realized that. But then like, like you guys are saying, you can use it now to be like, does reality itself seem like it's out of whack? Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. do, do things like feel like they're happening in, in ways that are just like fully impossible? Like maybe it's just, the you know the simulation is sort of like run out of scenarios and is yeah. lobbing anything at Canada. It's like it's such it's such a broad and useful metaphor for anything, which is one reason I feel like it became so lodged in the culture. The, yeah. the, the even the just the throwaway line about uh, deja vu is is so powerful and has you know it's such a a enduring idea that that's a glitch in the matrix. You know like. Yeah, there's, there's a subreddit called Glitch in the Matrix. You know, like it yeah. is it is a thing that people repeat. This is what I'm talking about memes, Jeff. Like it's it's it has become part of the meme culture as well. Um the uh Vulture did like a massive multi-article spread on the Matrix in February. Mm-hmm. And the cover story was The Matrix Built Our Reality Denying World, the movie that gave us uh, gave all of us a new way to see or reject everything, written by Mark Harris. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's, it's a great article, and it basically asserts what you guys have been saying, that uh, we live in a world where the president of the United States – uh, yeah. is a conspiracy theorist, right? Like, I, and, I have to say, by the right. way, like that, that's a great piece. I, I really enjoy Mark Harris's writing. Uh, Plato is like, I'm right here. I've been here for thousands <laughs> of years. What are you talking about? Uh, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, um, we, we live in a world where like we, our presence conspiracy theorists, where like uh, people talk about fake news and where there's like so many uh, ways readily offered to reject reality. And the Matrix kind of feels like it, it foretold uh, the modern era of doing that. So, mm-hmm. um, well, anyway. and, and Vindra mentioned specifically the people who are most 
passionate about rejecting reality and finding conspiracy theories use the blue and red pill as their central metaphor for that. Yeah. I mean, well, they, well totally it, missing the point of everything, but yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, it is. It's an it, Ouroboros, you know, it's, it's eating its own tail. Yeah. I mean, it is tragically ironic that, uh, you know, this uh, movie, which is created by two trans women. Uh, and I, I think it was, I was reading on Vox that it's like the, probably the most well-known and successful piece of art created by uh, transgender mm-hmm. people uh, yeah. is has been co- kind of co-opted in that way. And many people read The Matrix, in fact, as a uh, allegory for coming out as transgender. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into that allegory too much on this podcast because you know, I don't know that we're super well-versed or equipped to do so. But that is like kind of part of the culture of this film is like that allegory and how really despicable forces have co-opted it. So Mm -hmm. um, it is a shame, but uh, we we can appreciate the movie as it was intended. Uh, So let's dive into the actual start of the film, which begins with this kind of phone call between Trinity and Cypher. And it's it's great because like this movie just really immerses you into this situation without explaining anything. And it's one of those movies that rewards repeat viewings because like now you understand like what the context of their phone call is. Uh, you understand like what Cypher is talking about when he says we're going to kill him and then what, what Trinity's talking about when she says, did you hear that? Are you sure this line is clean? It's kind of a surprisingly intimate conversation too. Like yeah. just in the way they talk to each other, I found that kind of jarring this time, like, I forgot that's how they were talking to each other. Like, they're, they've been doing this for so long. They're old friends. In years. Years. Sure. At this point. Yeah. I think, I mean, as we learn, there's also that implication that Cypher kind of has a thing for Trinity. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's sort of probing her obsession with Neo, which she's sort of, you know, denying a little bit. But, you know, he's... He's sort of cottoning on to the fact that she's, you know, very intrigued and not cynical, not or at least not, not as cynical as he is. Right, right. So then you have this opening scene, which Tasha Robinson uh, from The Verge was on our podcast recently and described it as one of the most badass character introductions of all time. Right. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Which is Trinity doing like the midair crane kick bullet time introduced immediately uh, as she takes out these agents uh, and escapes. And then gets to the uh, gets to the exit. Mm-hmm. And I have what... to say, that's not my favorite part of the scene. By the way, my favorite part is when she she sees the window and she just jumps for it and she flies down the stairs and turns and double <laughs> pistols, ready to go. Yeah, like that is that is iconic. That is and, that moment that shot is burned into my brain forever. And them knowing that it's super important to have that piece of hair right over her yep. eye. Yes. Yep. It's so yep. rad to have the hair over the <laughs> eye. Well, they and they do such a good job, like increasing her vulnerability. Like you know, when she does the crane kick, she's basically like this invincible sort of mm-hmm. nightmare. And then like yeah, the little hair over the eye, the sort of like spot of blood she gets, like the the the. the that they convey like she's getting panicked this is this yeah. is hard it's not like she's not bad. superhuman yeah. like right this right. is this is a tenuous situation that they kind of like layer that in slowly is is perfectly done she has yeah she has fear genuine fear in her eyes and so we we see that there's danger it's not just like she's superman here or superwoman and she has to talk say. talk herself into getting up yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I also like one of the things this movie does well. Uh, there's many things this movie does well, but one of them is at various points there's different characters who play audience surrogates, and there's one moment when the the agent jumps across this uh, huge uh, street and like lands with his like, gun yeah. in his hand, and then you see a close up on like the the camera focuses on this cop, and he's he says 
that's impossible, right? And that's it's just like, impossible. yeah, it's just like amazing line delivery, and it's also yeah. you, that is the audience surrogate. Like you're like I, you're watching it, like that's impossible, right? What that yeah. guy? I, I, this whole scene, by the way, the the dialogue in the scene is so it is so like boilerplate '90s action movie in a way. Yeah. Like they they wait a little before they get really hard in the intricate stuff. But uh, Smith saying your men are already dead. Son, oh shit. Lieutenant, you were given specific orders. Hey, I'm just doing my job. You give me that jurors, my diction crap. You cram it up your ass. The orders were for your protection. <laughs> I think we can handle one little girl. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. I feel yeah. like I've seen that in hundreds of movies, but it, yeah. it probably works best here. Yeah. Give me that jurist my addiction crap. Grab <laughs> yeah, it up yeah, your ass. Grab it up your ass. That's right. Yeah. And I love. I love. How, there's no part of this movie that feels more like it was. Uh, it was uh, um, storyboarded than than the. You know, it just feels like every single shot mm-hmm. is composed and and artful and is a comic book frame and there's stuff happening in the corner and there's forced perspective shots. There's stuff with the stairs. And then like every little detail, the the stairs yeah. looking down all have checkerboards at the bottom. And that is sort of a match on action to another downward shot. And the, in the shot down with the rain and like everything feels purposeful. And you are, you know, you're in a world, you know, you're in, in hands that are confident Mm-hmm. and purposeful you know I, I don't think there's a movie that's that's been this like well thought out storyboard wise i guess not since uh like it's fury road and we know fury road was kind of storyboarded and thought out like drawn out as a comic book similarly too and that's kind of how they were able to like get a lot of those iconic shots because it's been sitting in george miller's brain you know for decades and it's clear this movie was like fully formed inside the wachowskis I also like how the end of the sequence, right, Trinity gets to the exit line and she turns towards – so first of all, this – somehow uh, the truck, the, this nearby truck uh, seems like possessed and turns towards this phone booth. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of picks up the phone and puts her hand against the glass as the truck is barreling towards the phone booth and smashes the phone booth open. Agent gets out and it, it's like there's a mystery. There's a mis- many mysteries there. Like how did the agent get in the truck? But also – uh, what happened to Trinity? What like what what happened there? What and that's one of the things that I think this movie does well is it shows you kind of this mystery and then later on shows you the mm-hmm. same thing happening but from a different perspective or with more yeah. revealed. And so then you find out later like what exactly happened in that scene with her. So that's also the first scene I think where you have to explain to the kids. So that's a payphone and yeah, there are these no boxes kidding. that phones used to be in. Mm. Mm, didn't even think about that uh, all over the street like yeah younger like, i've had this question dave like from uh nieces and nephews of mine who are maybe 15 now who still don't understand the concept of a payphone it is insane so then you have neo in his office he's doing he's doing his hacking as you do uh and there's like a guy that buys stuff from him and you know the, this interaction with the computer follow the white rabbit uh, there's a bunch of little details in here uh, that will, uh, you know, repay uh, repeat viewers. Uh, things like the fact that his book is Simulation and Simulacra, uh, mm-hmm. which is a uh, Baudrillard uh, treatise. There is the fact that the drug dealer or the the dealer guy says like, "Hallelujah, you're my savior, man, my own personal Jesus Christ." A uh, 
uh, reference to the fact that Neo is a Christ figure in some ways. Uh, and uh, yeah, so then he follows the right rabbit, obviously an Alice in Wonderland reference, and goes to meet Trinity for the first time. Hello, Neo. How do you know that name? I know a lot about you. Who are you? My name is Trinity. Trinity. The Trinity? That cracked the IRSD base. That was a long time ago. Jesus. What? I just thought, um... You were a guy. Most guys do. That was you on my computer. How did you do that? Right now, all I can tell you is that you're in danger. I brought you here to warn you. What? They're watching you, Neo. Who is? Please just listen. I know why you're here, Neo. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us here. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. What is the matrix? And then there's this, you know, this whole kind of section of him being out in the real world, being a hacker. Uh, yeah. At the same time, he works at a company called Metacortex. His uh, office space scenes, by the way, this is all very office space. It's yeah. hilarious. Then uh, yeah. office space came out the same year. Yeah, mm, yeah. It's mm. it, they are they are twin movies without a doubt. They are both movies about like the hell of cubicle life. <laughs> both of these movies prepared <laughs> yes. me for my future, basically, and they taught me to be afraid, very afraid. Yeah. Uh, I would love to. I'd love to ask you guys this sort of uh, overall meta question of. Of of Keanu because uh, you know I think that there are some incredible performances in this movie. I think for my money, especially rewatching it, I am reminded that Hugo Weaving gives one of the great film villain performances of all time in this movie. He's oh, he's doing such heavy lifting in this movie to sell that shit it is so he is so great and i think there are some really great performances i think carrie ann moss oh, is yeah. fantastic i think lawrence fishburne is fantastic what do you guys think of keanu in this movie david sims why don't you why don't you answer that question i mean look could anyone else have done this i think keanu is very yes. good at guilelessness <laughs> uh-huh uh it's sort of his his major forte which is one makes a movie like john wick so interesting because he's you know, he's it's a totally different energy, you know, that we had not seen from him in a while. But like as Neo, it's all I mean, his face is so like such a he, he it's, he's a pretty man. I, I don't I'm like, how else am I supposed to say it? He's this pretty angular man and he's very good at like receiving instruction and exposition, which so much of this movie is exposition. <laughs> and that's something that people complain about. Uh, you know, rightly in a way about like movies like Inception, you know, these movies that are sort of like big downloads of like instruction manuals basically to the audience. And this movie does all the same stuff, but it does it so well because Keanu is such a willing sponge for like 
information and for, you know, uh, you know, enlightenment and things mm-hmm. like that. And if you had, I mean, there, I don't know if you guys saw, did you guys see the Will Smith video? Like, yes. uh, yeah. where he was talking about how he turned it down and how the Wachowskis pitch like made no sense to him. And he was yes. like, I don't get it. I'll do the, I'll do wild, wild west. So Will, Will Smith <laughs> turned down the role of Neo. He was offered the role of Neo at one point and he turned it down right. and he, he was, made a YouTube yeah. video explaining why, but yeah. And and if you imagine Will Smith in this role, like he would want to have a lot of personality. He would want to mm-hmm. be like bouncing off everyone. Right. And he would want to be sort of like remarking on everything. And like, I don't, you know, who knows how this movie works with Will Smith and Val Kilmer, which was like one configuration Jeez. or like Johnny Depp and Gary Oldman, which was one configuration. Or Sandra Bullock was supposed to be Neo at one point. Or, you know, like they, they That's like, the only cost- interesting one I've heard. Yeah. yeah of that, all these I mean, alternate castings. Obviously, Sandra Bullock is like, you know, uh, a Keanu, you know, uh, the, the, her and Keanu had such a great mm-hmm. time together in speed. But, uh, you know, like... I, maybe will smith would have done something very interesting who has who knows i mean but keanu is such a perfect like sort of uh blank willing center at the you know for the movie to sort of like feed all this information through yeah so basically mm-hmm. i think what david is saying is he was the right man for the job at the right time jeff uh <laughs> well, it's which, funny yeah. because, which i kind of agree it's with funny because in the alternate universe where will smith is neo or johnny depp is neo I think if we have this conversation and somebody goes, it could have been Keanu, we would all go, oh, my God, no. It, it kind of <laughs> depends. Like, I think part of the magic of this movie is that so many of these actors, Carrie Ann Moss, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, everybody gave themselves up to the insanity, like fully gave themselves into this premise and the work it took to, to even train for a movie like this. If, uh, you know, if it was Val Kilmer not wanting to do the fight choreography or, you know, or even Will Smith, I can't. You know, I I really like Will Smith as a performer. As an actor, I've noticed like he is afraid of taking chances. At least like right. and that's something we especially saw like now. especially now, but like who would have thought like looking at, you know, Will Smith's career now and Jamie Foxx's career, who would have thought you're telling us in the 90s that Jamie Foxx would be the more daring actor for the next few decades? That would seem insane, but that's kind of where we've ended up. So, yeah. I guess for this movie I'm just saying it is such a special mixture of people who gave their all. You don't always see that. And yeah, it's something I appreciate more every time I see it. I don't, I don't mean to slag on Keanu. I think, I think his physical performance in all three of these movies. Yeah. And, and what we've seen him also put into John Wick physically is extraordinary. He, he committed himself. He, you believe those fights, you see him do it and you believe it. it he is there. You see a, uh, a young man who, you know, you don't expect to be able to do extraordinary things, then do extraordinary things. And it it is a transformation that is, I think, sells the fact that The Matrix is special, not the film, but the the mm-hmm. the, the construct inside the film that they're that he downloaded Kung Fu into his head and now can do it like that. He sells that in a way that is admirable. I I, I brought it up as we talk about this section of the movie, because I think this section of the movie is the one that suffers the most from him. And that blankness that you talk about, David, yeah, that sort yeah. of empty vesselness that he can bring that I think is, is maybe the downside of Keanu, a, an actor I like and I admire in a lot of ways, but this section in rewatching it, I noticed, you know, there's, there's, there's a moment where he, you know, has to walk out on a ledge and, he chickens out and doesn't do the hero thing that I think could have landed so much better 
in, in with a stronger performance in that moment. Um, and there are there are moments in that initial section that feel flatter than I than I think they could have been with another actor. So well, there's the, like the interrogation scene, right? When uh, he, you know, the agent Smith is interrogating Neo and uh, it's a great speech. I, I memorize that speech because it's so kind of menacing. And uh, so uh, I don't know, just, I love the way Hugo Weaving speaks in this movie. It's very, Dude, um, it is, yeah. it's, it is one of the great, I am so impressed. It, having seen his career where it's gone since, uh, and knowing the choices he's making, this is sort of his breakout performance too. The first time American audiences really saw him, or at least I did. Yeah. And he's putting such stank on everything. <laughs> I mean, that little grimace that he gives during the air interrogation where he talks about, um, you know, Keanu, I can't remember what it comes after, but Keanu tells him something and he, he recounts that he does something nice for someone and he just, Helps can't her, stomach helps it. his landlady carry out her garbage. Yeah. That's right, <laughs> garbage. garbage. Yeah. And he just he can't stomach it. It is it is so good. It is so good. And he it is. I think he does not get the credit he deserves for just owning that and bringing so much to the delivery of of what are great lines in and of themselves and and flowery language that that you get to chew on, but he chews on it in a way that few could. I, I am so impressed in rewatching it and reminding myself what he brought to that role. But what I, what I was going to say was I was I was kind of agreeing with you that like there's this moment when the uh, when Neo says you know uh, why don't I give you the finger. And you give me my phone call. And it's supposed to be like this guy who's having this like this cool guy who's like has all this attitude. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like that, that just isn't, doesn't strike me as him really that much. It, I didn't really buy mm -hmm. it that much. But then when the guy's mouth starts melting and he starts <laughs> freaking out. That I believe. So, yeah. I, I, and Hugo like, Weaving has the great, like, the great, like, intro to that too. It's like, what if you couldn't speak yeah, or yeah. something he, like, yeah, like how he says it. He, you know, what if you can't speak? It's so good, <laughs> man. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, uh, David Sims. I'm sure we're uh, killing you with these like mangled line readings, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> just know that uh, we'll probably put. Uh, sprinkle the audio of the actual film throughout this thing so people can take solace in that uh but yeah th there's this physicality to that that keanu brings to this role that i think is is truly excellent and yes. uh that's that's very present in this movie in, i'm sorry in this scene uh where they actually like put makeup on him and got him to like fuse his mouth shut we, uh, he he said apparently <laughs> shooting it took like five hours uh Jeez. and they didn't plan he didn't plan on not being able to speak for five hours, so they didn't have like pen and paper or anything ready for that, and uh, it made it a little complicated. But any anyway, um, so then uh, they put this bug in him. He wakes up. Maybe it's a dream, and they take him to uh, Lawrence Fishburne playing Morpheus. And this whole time, like you, you're just as a viewer, you're starting to like the world is starting to expand outward in concentric circles, right? You're starting to realize you're seeing a little bit more of these world. Like, you're, oh, here's what the agents are like. Oh, here's what the the people who are against agents are like. And oh, wow, the bug is actually real. Like, maybe what we're seeing before us is not uh, what we've been led to believe. And then, of course, Morpheus gives that amazing speech, this huge exposition dump about what the Matrix is, um, and then they uh, offers the red pill and the blue pill, uh, which he then takes, and then. Uh, that is when he is uh, transferred out of the Matrix at that point. So any thoughts on this this sequence before we move on? I'm stealing from my blank check co-host, uh, Griffin Newman. But 
Morpheus just like is really good at sitting in a chair. So good. <laughs> like yeah. the best. So, Lawrence Fishburne somehow can make sitting in a chair feel like an active choice. You know what I mean? Because he he's sitting in a chair here. He then sits in a chair again for the second exposition scene that he has. Another 10 minutes of talking about what the Matrix is and how it's everywhere. I don't know. It's hard to sit in a chair and feel like you are energetic and dominating the conversation. And he's it's very, very it's good very it. monk-like very way. Yes. This is a man who is supremely confident in what he is saying. I forget if his glasses, if he's going with the arms-free glasses or not. Yeah, that. no, yeah, that's he, the he thing. It's, so, it's the, the pince nez. So, yeah, so he, he's he's just sitting there concentrating and keeping the glasses on. Like, yeah, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, 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 just keep the glasses on. And the and the the work in the glasses too, with uh, uh -huh. you know right. the, the, the imagery yeah. in the glasses of Keanu is in both, but one hand has has the red pill, one hand has the blue. One glass has one hand in each. Um, that stuff is just so strong, so mm -hmm. unique. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, even the like, even the stuff in the car where they pull the thing out of his belly button, the way it like slaps the back of the tube and has goo on it, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. everything is so memorable. The fact yeah. that the car stops in the tunnel with the water cascading down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love the, I love the tool they use to get the, the bug out. You could see the visualization of it too. And it's like, this just like, truly messed up uh, sonogram in a way, like <laughs> yeah. a crazy real-time sonogram. This movie has so much, it opens with so, such insane like body horror that I think a lot of people didn't expect based on the trailer to you, like going into it. Like this movie does not take its time to get weird. And I kind of love that immediately. Yeah. Um, so then he wakes up in this thing of goo and you see this horrifying image of all these crops of humans and he's, you know, flushed out of there and then wakes up at the Nebuchadnezzar, which we see in a, a plaque was made in the USA in the year 2069. Uh, and then what follows is like a bunch of little exposition dumps where uh, Morpheus brings him into the, the ma not, not the Matrix, but like the training programs and the dojo. And, <laughs> Before um, that, I love the, um, was it the needle sequences? Like the, the whole thing of like basically building him up to be a human being that yep, can support yeah. his own body because he's never done that before. Why do yeah. my eyes hurt? Because you've never yeah, used you've them never before. Never used them. Yeah. yeah. So good. We're trying to rebuild your muscles. It's mm -hmm. it's so it's so well thought out and and evocative. Mm -hmm. And then this is the critical part of the movie where they actually explain like what is actually going. They explain the premise of the movie through this very cool kind of computer program. Welcome to the desert of the real. They're sitting in these chairs watching this TV. Um, and it's uh, as exposition times go, it's actually really effective, I think. Right. Like, yeah, uh, this is hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do well. And I think they do a good job. And, and, uh, there's this combination of imagery and ominous voiceover. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's really effective at convincing you that, Hey, maybe a human being could supply more energy than it consumes. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, who, who knows if, uh, if entropy would, yeah, actually let's just go it. along with that. Let's, for just go, now. let's I, go along it, with it. Yeah. It is a great example of showing and telling at the same time. And I think like a, a lot of movies have attempted things like this uh, since then. And yeah, yeah. I don't think nothing has done it that well. It's hard. I mean, Inception is the one that always comes to mind. And yeah. it, it does a pretty good job. You know, obviously I, I like the movie, but, you know, whenever things are being explained, it feels like the movie has ground to a halt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in The Matrix, it doesn't feel yeah. like that at all because you're like, tell me more. I want to under, you know, like the right, audience right, right. I feel like is eager. Like, give me, give me explanations. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's hard. Obviously, hard to get the audience in the palm of your Inception hand. Inception like is like, uh, let's talk about how time works at different levels of dreams. Everybody, right, <laughs> right. it's very yeah. I yeah, do want to give math. I do want to give a shout out to the Animatrix at this point, which. Um, the in my opinion, the most effective things on the Animatrix are the second Renaissance parts one and two, which kind of uh, fills in a ton of exposition about like what exactly happened with the machines, uh, and it's done in this very effective anime style, and uh, it's it's chilling. There's like this ultra, it's more violent and upsetting than the Matrix is, right? It's yeah. Even so though it's animated, violent. yeah. Um, so is that thing where the guy's brain falls out of his head? Oh, Ugh. it's well, they're, they're, they're beating when, up the the naked female robot. Oh yeah, that, when they're beating up they the naked like female robot, her. When, that when the, is uh, that is rough. The robot crushes the guy's head. When yep. there's this part when like the machines go to war with man, and then like you see the machines basically like brutally like kill all these guys in these uh these mech suits. Um, but it is a uh super plausible. Overall, yeah. a very like I don't know that when the AI, you know, when the AIs come for humanity, that it's going to play out exactly like this. But it feels very plausible as to like that. That is a version of the future that could easily happen mm -hmm. in our world. And so, what, what I love about these things is that uh, the you know, humanity is there's nothing good about humanity. Actually, like we <laughs> did this to ourselves. Right. We took advantage yeah. of these robots. We destroyed the Earth. What do you expect? Yeah. Our you big know? plan was to to blot out the sun. Right. That was our big plan, and everybody got <laughs> everybody got behind that we, idea. We evidently. literally used our big idea, copied our big idea from Mr. Burns and the Simpsons. Nobody, um, yeah, nobody went. Um, <laughs> what happens when we win and there's no sun? Nobody. <laughs> Listen, that's uh, a future problem. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the other yeah. the other thing that occurred to me during my rewatch uh, is something I did not remember, and that is that. Morpheus actually explains how they first got out of the matrix and it's super flimsy. I didn't remember mm -hmm. this at all, but it's basically just one guy yeah. could do stuff that Almost nobody else like could. it right. doesn't hold together, which they explain <laughs> later on in the series. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. He's just like, yeah, there was one guy and he could manipulate the matrix and he busted the rest of us out. It's like, yeah, you don't want to yeah. explain that a little more. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Um, I, I think you get the sense that this is all like stuff that's been handed down right. over time too. Like yeah. he's even he's not sure. This is all like yeah. told history. Yeah, he's point. like as best as we can tell, it's the year twenty twenty or you know two two thousand two hundred yeah. yeah. or you know like he doesn't exactly know when things are. Um, but uh, this is such an amazing way of doing exposition is like having these simulated worlds, right? You have like the dojo scene where he, he finally like yeah. you know I know kung fu. Show me the jump program. Right. The woman with the red dress scene, like all these. It's like, hey, we're going to explain exposition in the most interesting way possible, which is like mm -hmm. showing and not telling. And um, I just, action and, that's that's conveying story to yes. action, reading character. And that's yeah. progressing the plot in the story. I have to say, guys, when the dojo scene, the first time I saw that dojo scene, I had to restrain myself from like getting up and clapping <laughs> in the theater well, because I'm I'm somebody who grew up watching kung fu movies and all sorts of martial arts films and like just kind of stewing with the fact that Hollywood just can never get it right. No matter what they do, they can never get it right. They could bring, um, I forget if lethal weapon four happened before or after this, but like, you know, they could bring Jet Li into a movie and just completely waste him. Uh, this, this movie did it. And that was such a transformative moment for everybody. And, yep. and they, they do such a smart thing and such a brilliant thing in, having the the moment 
in the Nebuchadnezzar where he's like, hey, everybody, Neo and Morpheus are fighting. And they all get <laughs> yeah. up. It's like you talk about an audience surrogate. It's like, oh, this is special. You know, it's the Simpsons. Uh, hey, it's Barton. He's doing stuff. You know, it, <laughs> it's um, it, it is so. Spe- and then the the sequence in the jump where they're all like, he's not going to do it. Do you think he's going to do it? And then, you know, Trinity's like, I, I, I believe it's it. It is. It's so perfectly amps up the emotional stakes of that moment. And it makes you feel like, oh, I'm watching something special, too. Just so expertly done. Yeah. Um, we should all, a couple of things to point out about these sequences. Well, first of all, I, I didn't even mention really like the design of the Nebuchadnezzar and how the ship looks like really, it looks very plausible that this is like the last of humanity, right? It's this kind of filthy steampunk inspired ship. And, and, uh, the vision we'd seen of the future prior to this was like Star Trek, the last generation it just ended a few years before this. And that's like a much cleaner, hopeful version of the future. This is right. like this is this like is kind like of alien. Yeah, or something. yeah. This is very yeah. alien esque. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also like how uh, the exposition continues. Right. Like it never stops. You think that's air you're breathing now. Uh, you notice that Lawrence Fisherman basically is not out of breath for most of the dojo scene, which is amazing. Um, the uh, when they emerge from the jump program, right? There's blood on his mouth. No idea what the physical mechanics of that are, but he's like, "If you're killed in the Matrix, you die out here. The body cannot live without the mind." Like all just very like effectively explaining what the rules of the place are. And then of course the woman in the red dress with the agent morphing into one of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, very effective. And watching the Matrix revisited, uh, I was reminded that basically that sequence, right? Obviously everyone is dressed in black and white except for the one in the red dress um but the casting director hired uh twins and triplets for that scene um to make it to reinforce the idea that this is like a computer program it's a very subtle effect that uh you might not even notice but uh that's kind of great and i love how they're dressed there's like sailors yeah sailors you know it's like nuns right yeah like you know it's somebody had uh stock character models in their (laughs) in their computer program that they all the npcs yeah exactly yeah. Run down the street. Uh, that that scene, by the way, is where I believe Morpheus explains, like, you know, these people, um, they can any of them can be an agent. Right. Right. They're yeah. all a part of this. And they're all they basically, therefore, they're all dangerous. And I think at the time that was a good way of explaining, like, oh, man, are we are we just killing people? Are we just like <laughs> offing these poor, innocent people right. by doing yeah. this? And I think, you know, watching the whole like, um, you know, the the shootout sequence in the lobby for the first time like that didn't really come into play it's like oh okay these things these people could all be bad therefore it's okay that they're being killed i think now we're kind of like oh i i don't know about that that's like one thing that's kind of lingering with me um if they were like i I think if it was even a line that was like oh by the way like um i know some way to explain it like even if you kill them maybe they will be resynthesized into another virtual person somewhere they're dead They're dead. You murdered them. Here's what happens: their body gets dumped out of the power plant and like turned yep. into mush. You did this, like you did. You know what? They haven't they had, they haven't taken the right pill yet, so they're they're part of the problem still. I I think something that is sort of boiling in the you know away in this movie that the movie is not really dealing with is that Morpheus is like a zealot. Like oh he's yeah, very radical. And and in the the idea in the sequels is that. When he returns to Zion, everyone's like, hi, Morpheus. You know, it's (laughs) not like, like, oh, it's Morpheus. We love him. Everyone's like, that guy's a lot. Um, (laughs) He's pretty extra. He's pretty extra. He's he's quite extra. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, 
Neo has to kill all those people. Yeah, uh, those people are all dead because of them. Yeah. But I and think... he has fun doing it too. Like there's <laughs> joyful killing, there's stylish. joyful slaughter. Yeah. I think you know the the there's a couple of things that are worth thinking about. Which is one is that anytime you see the agent jump into someone and then they shoot the agent, uh, the Wachowskis like to show you the the body reverting back to a dead person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rather than you just thinking like, okay, well, who cares? Like it's like, well, no, you know. It, that person got killed now, you know, because <laughs> because the agent was possessing him, but still. But um, I think that Morpheus's sort of calculation and the the movie's kind of calculation is like, you know, they're they're never gonna wake up. They're stuck right, in their right, you know gators right. anyway. So it's sort of it's it's unlikely. This movie makes it ha- is vaguer about like, oh, maybe we'll free everyone, but right, yeah. <laughs> there, there's never a plan of that of to free anybody talked about here. As it goes on, in the sequels especially, you realize, like, no, that's not really how this works. Like, it's (laughs) mostly people are in the Matrix. And mostly people want to be in the Matrix. Like, that's they have this sort of unconscious choice and they take it. Like, and that's that's sort of what Cypher represents. He's like, forget it, guys. Like, the real world sucks. They've built a much more compelling world with stake in it. And, like, you know, let's just do that instead. That's another thing that struck me on the rewatch is... I had remembered this movie as having a big uh, turn, you know, Joey pants turns on the team. No, there's never a, they they don't play that for dramatic turn at all. It just, it just plops out. It's just the, him being a, a a betrayer just sort of is presented to you very early and very just matter of fact that we don't even really have met him very well. We have no cipher at all we're introduced to him as the betrayer. And I didn't remember it that way. I remembered it feeling like a, uh, a big reveal that, he, right, that he's right. going to turn on them, but no, it just sort of like, boop, he's yeah. He's having dinner with the uh, agent Smith. Yeah. I mean, it's, so he's kind of an audience surrogate here as well. Like this idea that, Hey, actually maybe life in the matrix isn't, mm-hmm. isn't that bad. Right. And, um, I love that the little bit when he says, "I want to be someone important, like an actor," you know, <laughs> like an um, actor, great like, job, like Joey Joe Pant- uh, Pantoliano. Um, so yeah, character I, actor Joe Pantoliano, we all remember. Uh, <laughs> I, I will, uh, Jeff, like that scene happens in the middle of the movie. It's not exactly early. Like I, I was clocking this. We, we yeah, you know, we spend forty five minutes before we even get out of the Matrix. Yeah, you know, like all the real world stuff, all the set building, and then you get to the ship, and we're forty five minutes in. So like by the halfway point. Okay, like it's early on in our relationship with uh, this character, but certainly not early for the movie. This this whole time, right? All this, it's like this whole section, this whole section of the movie is like lining up all these dominoes that the final act mm-hmm. is going to just knock down in quick succession, right? You got the uh, Joe Pantoliano uh, the, is the informant that is referenced in the opening scene of the film. Sentinels are introduced and the one weapon we have against them, the EMP. Um, you can't die in the Matrix or you die out here. Uh, all this stuff is introduced, right? And, uh, and and then, like, the final act is going to just somehow hit on, like, every single one of these things. It's amazing, like, just from a storytelling perspective. So um, really appreciate this whole this whole section as, like, an exposition dump that's done very creatively, very effectively. So mm-hmm. then Morpheus goes to take Neo to meet the Oracle. You're cuter than I thought. I can see why she likes you. Who? Not too bright, though. You know why Morpheus brought you to see me. What do you think? Do you think you are the one? Honestly, I don't know. 
You know what that means? It's Latin. Means know thyself. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love. You just know it. Through and through. Balls to bones. And that kind of sets in motion the sequence of events that happens, like, that takes us to the end of the film, right? They go to meet the Oracle. And so, Dave Sims, I'm kind of curious, like, what your uh, opinion is on this kind of, the whole Oracle interaction, her whole deal, you know, what she says to him, you're not the one, but then he is the one, but, like, maybe it's because he died first and then became the one, but the Oracle only tells you what you need to hear. Like, what do you think of this Mm -hmm. whole, what's what's your read on the Oracle stuff? I mean, how nerdy do you want me to get? Let's do um, that. Let's say moderate. In, in terms of the first film, the Oracle, I mean, she's a character who I feel like is so easy to stumble into all kinds of pitfalls with. She's mm-hmm. this magical black lady. Yeah. You know, the movie is sort of like, it's kind of like, wow, can you believe it? Like, she's a nice old lady, like, who makes cookies? Like, wow, you thought she was going to be something? You know, like, the movie maybe yeah. is a little too impressed with itself revealing this, <laughs> right. like, mundane person is the all You thought this would be, like, the golden child or something, and there's, like, some dragon behind a curtain. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I, I guess, you know, you've got that scene right beforehand with the kid who is bending the spoon, and, there like, thank no God. That, yes, there is no spoon. Thank God that that's not the kid. Uh, you know, that's, that doesn't turn out to be an oracle or whatever. Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, Gloria Foster, who they, the Wachowski is very good, very good at casting, uh, sort of underrated casters in general. Like a lot of the people in this movie who are unknowns, like Carrie Ann Moss, like very good at finding these people. Uh, she's so good at being kind of like wicked and charming and like with a little bit of world weariness, like she's so good at not playing anything too hard and, uh, like kind of making it seem like she's having a little fun with Neo rather than just again, delivering more exposition seated from a chair and yeah. like give yeah. him all this circular dialogue um, that uh, I kind of love. I, I kind of love the scene. And in terms of the oracles, like actual, like what you're saying, like she's, she says he's not the one, of course he is the one. And so what's she, what's she playing at there? Mm-hmm. You know, in the later movie, she talks about how you, you, I, you can't see beyond choices. You don't understand. And so I feel like her whole her whole vibe with Neo is like, if I just sat down and told this guy he was the Messiah, you know, that's only going to lead to bad things, right? He's he's going to think of himself as this sort of invincible or in, in, entitled, noble sort of being, and obviously that's something he needs to figure out by himself, uh, and he'll only figure it out by himself if he's not burdened with this like you know this ridiculous mm-hmm. prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's how all- I've always taken. I feel like it's all wrapped up in in that one moment where she says, uh, you know, it's OK about the vase. And he's like, yes. what vase? And he turns and knocks it. And she says, you know, what's really going to burn your noodle. Bake is, your noodle, I think. Bake your noodle. Excuse me. Bake your noodle is, you know, would you have knocked it over if I hadn't said anything? That, I think, is is the whole thesis. Right. The right? whole it's, free will versus choice concept. Right. Right. It's the it's it's if I tell you you're Spain. the one, yeah. you won't act like the one. I have to tell you, you're not the one, so you will act like the one. Right, and that's that's I think that's baked into that moment of like, is what's really going to bake your noodle, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to say too, like rewatching this movie now, I, I feel like personally, I'm a little tired of chosen one narratives in general. Like I, 
I I'm very glad when superhero movies and you know uh, genre pictures do something very different. I think something we kind of forget too is that the sequels really upended yes. whatever this is. Like it, it is kind of genius what yes. they did, even That's if the why sequels. They're so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I you know I love them. Uh, for what they attempt to, to be, even if they aren't as exciting as this movie. Just I'd to say. do a one minute rant. That's exactly yeah. right. Like yeah. the, the whole point of the sequels is that Neo is now superhuman and he achieves the goal he's supposed to achieve, which is he gets into the core of the Matrix. And in the middle of the Matrix is a guy who's like, yeah, I wrote the chosen one narrative. <laughs> like, I yes, I'm I'm the guy who wrote it like we all you know the humans like them and so that's why you exist because you're the only way the matrix works is if it has a chosen one so i had to write one in and every time you have to end up here because that's how i write it yeah and uh, there are like, there are many chosens before yes. and you're just the next yeah. one yes but and of course the the, the special thing the wachowskis do is they make it be that like well and the you know the architect is like well you're different though what's up with you and yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. the ways they've sort of layered that in through the movies is are very interesting. But that I just love that idea that this the sequel to this movie totally rug pulls the idea of the the chosen one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I love the idea. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of Matrix Reloaded. I actually rewatched part of it and I I couldn't get through it. I was like, this is still pretty painful to me. But I love the. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that architect scene, you know, when he explains, like, we've this has been the sixth time that this has happened. And uh, I just love how fascinating that idea is. So uh, anyway, uh, so moving on, right, they, they they talk to the Oracle. She tells me he's not the one. Uh, they go back. They're trying to exit. Deja vu in the Matrix. Uh, a lot of people get killed. Um, Joe Pan- Joey Pants gets out of the Matrix alive mysteriously. <laughs> there is this funny moment. That cool, I don't know if thing, guys... that cool thing in the walls. Like, don't skip over oh. that. Like. How cool so is good. that? So good. Like so the they way had to build shot. that vertical set for that. Man. Yeah, it's Amazing. so rad. And and the and the way that like the physicality of that and how they can slide down the wall, like all of that is yeah. so inventive. And, and then cool. like Morpheus having that big moment when he's like, you know, get Neo out of here. He's the only thing that matters. You know, like sacrificing yeah. himself. And it's like, and you've just you've just seen like the Oracle you know, tell Neo. Oh, there's that moment when I think Apoc like kind of flips the gun over and hands it to Neo and is like, mm-hmm. I hope the Oracle gave you some good news. You know, like, <laughs> so good. And, and when when uh, Morpheus uh, headbutts the agent, yeah. and then the agent's like, oh, "I'll headbutt you like sixteen times because <laughs> I don't care about headbutts." You know that whole <laughs> fight. That whole fight is so perfect too because it's like we were introduced to uh, the fight sequences at the beginning and the dojo, which are I, I think like yeah, they're very they're very Eastern in a way. This is like a knockdown, drag out brawl. Yeah. And I think this is the other moment where I wanted to jump up and clap because I was like, "This movie's doing everything." They're doing they're even doing like American style fight scenes better than most, you know, than any other action movie at that time. Certainly, this is one of the times in the movie where I felt bad for the actors because it just looks it looks so uncomfortable. Like they like like Lawrence Fishburne has all this like crap all over his face, like all the dust and stuff. I'm like, this must have been excruciating to shoot anyway. Yeah. Um, in the behind the scenes, he's like, I'm allergic to all this stuff. And they just keep throwing it on me, man. This is rough. <laughs> there, there is that one moment, speaking of like indelible moments in this movie, the one moment where they punch each other, which was a mistake. And they kept it in because it just looks so badass and also looks so painful. And I think they even kept in like part of the sound or something. Yeah. Um, so then uh, then Cypher gets out, right? Joey, Joey Pants gets out. And starts offing people one by one in the most horrifying and cruel way. 
and uh, it's super creepy when he like interacts with everyone. Like he like jumps up on them, like so he's like straddling them, right? Uh, so good. And this is amazing. Yeah, he's talking to Trinity in the Matrix while he's on top of her physical body, uh, which is just like in a, the- like I'd never seen anything like that before. Right, that this guy can be interacting with this person while he's like. Uh, like interacting with her physical body in one reality, and then her actual per- like you know personhood, uh, her construct in in another reality. Uh, I just think it's it's super fascinating, and and of course the moments that I remember from this uh, that are that's indelible to me is like when he's uh, executing all those people, right? Apoc, um, Switch, he's about to kill Neo, and she's like the not like this. I mean that was it, it chills yeah. me to this day. Right, that her her line delivery of not like this, and then she has to like pretend that she's dead, right? At, like right after in the same shot. I just think that's a uh, uh, amazing uh, performance as well. By the way, like uh, I, I read on this Vox piece about Switch that 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 was a character that was supposed to be kind like um uh was supposed to hint at kind of the the gender bending elements of the of the film that that Switch was supposed to be like a man in one reality but a woman yes. in the Matrix. Right? Switch um, was going to be a female in the Matrix. Yeah. Belinda McClory was only going to play female uh, Switch and a man in the uh, in the real world. Yeah. So they jettisoned and that the idea. And the studio was like, yeah. fuck off. What are you talking well, about? Well, they thought you're it would not, be too confusing. To that. Or they thought it would be too confusing to people, right? That yes. People wouldn't yeah, get yeah, it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's a <laughs> that's bummer. That's why Belinda I... McClory is so androgynously styled. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. She has that very, that very specific look. Yeah. But she, she, she doesn't – like, she doesn't have that much – uh, to work with in this movie, and I think she makes a lot. Not of like this, yeah, not like this. That's right, yeah, heartbreaking. And then you know, uh, Tank uh, kills Cipher in, in a, like one of the most badass, like you know, uh, guy comes in at the last second to save the day, uh, pulls him out of the matrix. <laughs> I, I like how Cipher is like uh, the only way you could possibly be saved is by some sort of miracle. <laughs> Don't have faith, dude. No, he doesn't Don't even say that. Faith. He says if if he's the one, he'll yeah, be saved yeah, by yeah. some sort of miracle, right? Yeah. That'll Didn't prove that faith. he's the one. <laughs> Gotta have faith. Yeah, and then yeah, it yeah. totally has a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. So then the final uh, final like last thirty forty five minutes right is just this nonstop action of them going in to save Morpheus. So many memorable sequences, lobby shootout, helicopter scene, uh, helicopter crashing into buildings, you know, all, all this stuff. So Final fight by sequence. The way, I, yeah. Even still today, I'm like, how how did you do that? Like, how did even I've seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but even like the the final shot of the helicopter, you know, crashing into the building and rippling the glass, the a camera angle from below the helicopter with the bullets just like falling down yeah. and uh, the and then the water is pouring out of the skyscraper and the broken window. Like it's just so perfect and it seems like, like an impossible shot in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally like that. So many incredible shots. Um, so David Sims, let me ask you like, as you're thinking of these final <laughs> portions of the film, right? These like just nonstop set piece after set piece after set piece, like what visuals, what moments, what lessons stick out to you? Well, I like what you say about the relentlessness, um, but because it is certainly it's exactly what you want in a sort of final act. Right. It's like an incredible variety of action and uh, all that. But what what I love about it all is basically like even though it has not been a slog to sit through all of this information and all of this training and all of this sort of comprehension of how everything is going to work in this world, it is the the perfect example of like. 
you know, building up a, you know, whatever, building up a brick tower and like knocking it down. Like everything that we've been learning about and understanding is being like thrown at us, like really, 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 really rapidly. And we're like, of course I understand the matrix, you know, the, the agents can do this and the Neo is, can do this. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like suddenly all the rules are just sort of being, uh, lobbed at the audience and, like with with such confidence like it's it's uh, it's so thrilling to sort of see everything come together so like that and then you, you, it's all action except that we're intercutting with hugo weaving monologuing it's one last monologue he gives that sort of like angry speech to uh, morpheus where he's like i hate this like this mm-hmm. sucks i have feelings about this yes you're a virus i'm going to be honest with you I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink every time I do I fear that I've somehow been infected by it it's repulsive doesn't it I must get out of here I must get free and in this mind is the key my key once Zion is destroyed there is no need for me to be here do you understand yeah, we were talking earlier about how like sort of disgusted he seems with Neo's altruism as a as a human helping his landlady and all that. And like, you know, like he like weaving's been sort of peppering all that nastiness in. And it's it's such a final fun philosophical complex uh you know, a certain philosophical question to throw at the audience of like are the machines allowed to like, you know, have feelings yeah. too? Like is yeah. this is this like yeah, like not just sort of like a Terminator-esque villain to sort of plow through, but like, what's going on on the other side of this world? Like, now that we've learned all about the Matrix and all about, you know, the fight for freedom, like, who are these creatures we're fighting against? And I, I like that they managed to weave that into the final act. Mm-hmm. He seems like the only one who's, like, questioning what sure. they're doing and why they're doing it. I think that's what makes uh, Smith such an interesting villain, too, because, yeah, what Reloaded ends on him, like, being inside the body of somebody else and that was the big twist for that movie uh but for this one it's sort of like it kind of reminds me um of us in ways that if i talked about would bring up spoilers but just the way the movie yeah, us you're talking about right? the movie yeah. us yep. um but I, I think just the way somebody you could consider to be bad uh, in, in a way like they they just want freedom too and there's right. something even sympathetic about that, even though Smith is such a also a cartoonish B-movie villain at the same time. Well, I will say the thing that strikes me from that scene is not how uh, Agent Smith is feeling feelings and stuff. I mean, that's certainly very powerful. The idea that the machines are sentient and have their own preferences. Um, the thing that strikes me is how like uh, in the decades since The Matrix came out, I've been thinking about that monologue 
And like, is he right? You know, his whole the whole yeah. thrust of that monologue right. is about how human <laughs> beings, humans are disgusting. Right, humans right. are disgusting. Yeah. They 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 destroy everything that they they colonize. Right, like they unlike no other harmony. mammals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the unlike other uh, other mammals who like eventually come to peace with their surroundings. Like we destroy things. We we shape things into our own image, and often end up like ruining it in the process. And um, mm-hmm. like, is there something inherently? destructive uh self-destructive about humanity uh i just found that to be extremely thought-provoking and it's a it's a speech and a, and a line of thinking that haunts me to this day so uh definitely mm-hmm. a great scene that's just dropping in all this major kind of i'm, su- I'm surprised morpheus idea. never was just like hey we made you okay like <laughs> tr- apple doesn't fall far from the tree but say it cooler with morpheus voice please <laughs> so so the the obviously the lobby shootout is you know incredible slow motion we've never seen anything like that um and then the other visuals that stick out to me are uh when the helicopter is going over the edge of the like it's like clearly uh-huh. failing it's going over the edge of the building you see this slow motion shot where neo like reaches his arm around the helicopter like rope cable thing that he's attached to and the, every time i watch that scene i'm always like what is he expecting is going to happen right is he like going to i'm a hero now is he going to like I, I gotta, hold like, the Ryan helicopter Saber. up like what but then you know like Trinity like gets out of the pilot seat right in the nick of time, and then she kind of swings you. This spectacular shot that was in the trailer in the commercial, where she swings into the building with the explo- nothing but the explosion in the background, and these are just like all time great visuals that uh, very few films have been able to replicate anything like them. You know, and we brought up Inception that, earlier. How, you right. know, they were meant for each other. By the way, like that was all like they had them communicating basically telepathically. Like I'm gonna hold this, you jump onto that, and we'll we'll, we'll you know walk away. Scott, it's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like there's like a balletic sort of like idea there. Like they're right. they're very in symphony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I will say that if there's a shortcoming in the movie, it's that she's in love with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that. There is nothing in the movie. I, no I will argue. Given. I will argue that is not a shortcoming of the movie. Maybe the first couple times we see it, yes, but it it goes to the core of everything the Wachowskis have done since this movie. Like it is, it's probably kind of hokey. I think in America too, like we're just kind of not used to this as being like it, it is like her saving Sleeping Beauty. You know, um, it, maybe too earnest for most audiences, but. I, I hear you, Jeff. I hear you. It, it, it doesn't seem supportive enough in this movie. I just like their overall philosophy. And we see more of that in the other films. I mean, it's it's a it's a lovely, you know, the fifth element is love moment. But uh, and I and I and I I appreciate the sentiment as an old softy myself and an idealist. I just don't think the movie earns her feelings to him at any point. It doesn't seem interested in even worrying about justifying that she's just. It, it it is a cosmic thing yeah. that she loves him rather than something earned. Mm. I, I think even looking at like rewatching the movie now, that opening a phone call between her and Cipher, uh, I got the sense that man is Trinity kind of like a stalker. Like she's really <laughs> paying attention. Like she is really into this guy. Um, it's certainly I don't think the movie gives them enough time together to kind of blossom that romance in an organic way. But I, I think there's a lot of stuff peppered out there throughout. Uh, well, the Oracle tells you that you're going to yeah. fall in love with the guy who saves the universe. You right. think maybe you yeah. pay attention yeah. to who yeah. the candidates are. <laughs> David Sims, any opinion on the love story between Trinity and Neo? Uh, they're both very 
attractive people and uh i like it when attractive people in movies kiss um so they looked around the ship good. they were like we're gonna do this right because you uh, also, not many other candidates right she is the second in command on a ship of nine people and her options are incredibly slim so uh they just added keanu reeves to the mix so he's definitely gonna be on her radar uh pretty much from the moment he arrives yeah i feel Sounds i feel like bad you. that uh, cypher never really had his chance with her um but it turns yeah, out no, he was right. he was both uglier than keanu reeves and also a terrible person so uh, yeah there, there is that yeah and uh you know in in the sequels they they sort of talk about this concept that the oracle's whole gambit is that thing that that she nudges the two of them together and she has neo the one fall in love with a person whereas apparently all the previous ones are this more general messiah type figure who fell in love with humanity and wanted to rescue all of humanity Mm, and that and that is the that is the sort of that is the thing that the architect and the oracle talk about very obliquely in both sequels uh, that is supposedly sort of what changed everything for these movies. Right, so that's... obviously, yes, it's at the core of the Wachowski's concept. I agree with you that they, they could do with maybe one flirty scene, yeah. something in the dojo, something in the construct. Who knows? You know, like uh, the movie would certainly like benefit from something like that uh mm-hmm. you know just from a pure screenwriting perspective mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it is funny now like thinking of the oracle this way by the way like she is basically incepting these <laughs> ideas into everybody like it, yeah, it is perfect. like you can't you can't directly tell them but you can't be like just give them enough to let them lead themselves to the idea and yeah it kind of works in that respect so massive chase sequence uh incredibly shot kind of uh uh, hints of Point Break in there, in my opinion. Hints like, of with, Point like, Break, yes. With the, lots uh, of handheld, yeah. yeah, lots of handheld camera running through hallways, running through these like uh, this the city spaces, uh, and then uh, Agent Smith meets uh, Neo before he's about to get to the exit. Oh, I, I like this scene where, uh, like, <laughs> the, you know, you know, actually, Jeff Kanata, you we were talking about Captain Marvel a few weeks ago, right? And you were saying, you know, if I if there was a if I could make a chase sequence where like one of the characters could transform into anyone, I would definitely do a lot more with it than they did in Captain Marvel. And I feel like this right. was the sequence that you were looking for, right? Which is like yeah. he's transforming into a guy on the phone who's angry. He's transforming into an old lady who throws a knife at him. You know, like right. Uh, That's what you would do, right? That's yeah. Any person that any person that sees them in the matrix right. yeah jump right in baby that's, <laughs> that's what you know like that's what they're you, one imagines that the machines are like okay everybody in the matrix you know keep your eyes open and then it's like oh we blipped them okay jump over there it's it's it's, it's delightful yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah this, but, and that, by the way before we get to the foot chase i just want to quickly say that the the subway fight scene between neo and smith is uh is perfect it is perfection because this is before you know, this is before Neo has the full realization of his powers. And I think that leads us to a lot of the problems they had in Reloaded, where all of a sudden the fight scenes aren't as compelling because he, he could just literally twist reality in a way to, like, make himself win. He could fly away. He could do all these things. That subway fight is the very last, you know, the very last action sequence where Neo is, like, basically struggling within the limitations of what he understands of the Matrix before so- he becomes a god. So David Sims, I want to be very conscious of the fact that we are we are running a little long here, and it's late yeah. on the East Coast. Um, yeah. I am curious about what you you know. You have a high opinion of Reloaded. One of the common yep. complaints Rules. of that film 
is <laughs> is uh, that you know in Matrix One every fight scene had a purpose, and in Matrix Reloaded feels less so. Do you have any thoughts on that? If that'll take too long to get into, we can just keep tr- trucking along. But it's a fair ask. question. I mean, I do. Yeah, the Reloaded has a little bit of uh, um, excess in general in terms of the action. Um, it feels. The Matrix is a very, very well calibrated movie in terms of story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you guys are saying, where's Reloaded, a movie I love, I love it for its for its excesses and for its overreaches and stuff like that. Does sometimes feel like it's sort of like, hey, I guess like twenty five minutes have gone by. Like, should we, (laughs) should we have like a car chase? You know what I mean? Throw in there, yeah. There's less plot relevance and stuff. I love the car chase and reloaded a lot. I think that's that's the sequence that works the best, both in terms mm-hmm. of like you're kind of like I can't believe they did this. This is you know incredibly spectacular, but also that has the keymaker, if you remember, yep. who is a very vulnerable figure. So it has the, that's the sequence with a lot more stakes because you're sort of like this guy could die, you know. Like there's a little more sort yeah. of like oh no, like you know a uh, little more like the first movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, it's tough when Neo's a god. He's a god. He's, he's a god. You know, he's a god. There's the first, his first uh, agent fight in Reloaded is a point where he's just like, huh, upgrades. And like, just right. like, it, it is very, it is a boring ass fight. Like the choreography land, isn't like good. Punch on. Yeah. Right. Like, it, it's too easy, therefore not interesting. Yeah. And, but I, yeah, for the car chase alone, Reloaded is worth it, I'd say. But this, se- this Superman sequence, problem. The, mm-hmm. the, the subway sequence, right, is like the critic, is one of two critical moments in the film where Neo finally comes into his own, realizes who he is. Yep. Gets called Mr. Anderson, says, My name is Neo. Like he's fully, re- he's fully accepting his role as the one. Yeah. Um, which uh, and then again, it kind of throws Agent Smith upwards into the ceiling of the subway, back down, then has to run away. So, what about, uh, by the way, Dave, did you ever think if you twist the letters around, Neo becomes one? What? Think about that. <laughs> Mind blown. Do you um, have any proof of this that? Is, this is me in high school, by the way. This is all the conversations we were having. In so, I'm going to have to check because it's going to take me a while to rearrange all those letters. The movie gave you all the clues. They gave you all the clues. They were right in front of my Just face the whole time. I, I like – so the final sequence where like Neo, they're trying to get Neo out and uh, he do, he gets shot repeatedly by Agent Smith who's like, oh, my job here is done, walks away. Uh, one of my favorite shots in the movie is – this shot, uh, like the Sentinels are like burrowing into the Nebuchadnezzar at this point. And there's a shot, there's a shot where you see uh, Morpheus's face and he just is like so dejected uh, because Neo has just died. Like his whole belief system has been shattered. And then you see like in the background out of focus, like the Sentinels like tearing in with their lasers. And he's just like, it's not even, he's not even turning around because he's just like, yeah. why am I even alive anymore? It's, it's like a Where's brilliant, my God now? Yeah, yeah. brilliant use of like foreground and background to kind of tell a story. I thought it was great. And then, you know, Neil comes back to life. Uh, he sees the matrix for what it is. He can see all the code. He kind of dives into Agent Smith, explodes him. Um, and the, then, uh, the turn, the turn where he is having a fight with one arm yeah. is <laughs> so rad. Yeah, and, good. That was another one of those uh, Devendra Hardwar stand up and cheer moments for me. Yeah. Uh, when I watched it, it was like, yeah, how better to, you know, he's sort of like not even looking at, at the fight. He's just able to do it one handed. Uh, just a brilliant expression of where he's gotten to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. And the fact that he can like see the code yeah. uh, of the Matrix is very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So good uh, movie. 
Good movie. Pretty good movie, yeah. So, you know, final sequence, the, the call on the phone, like something is like something's messing with the code, and then Neo's like, like I'm going to show you like not where things are going to end, but how they're going to begin. Rage Against the Machines Wake Up plays. One of the greatest uh, movie endings of all time. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, uh, David Sims, any yes. closing thoughts on the end of this film, uh, movie as a whole, any other reflections you haven't had a chance to share? Uh, during mm. our thoughts here on the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. I mean, I could talk about The Matrix forever, as you guys might be able to tell. Mm. Um, but uh, the ending specifically is kind of a... Yeah, it's again, it's amazing the needle they're threading here, where it's like very triumphant, incredibly open-ended. Like, not doesn't feel too easy. It's like... After all that, Neo's huge triumph is that he beats one agent, right? Like he like, <laughs> he, yeah, and obviously he achieved this sort of enlightenment and he is the one, but who knows what that means, right? And so it's, I, I don't, I don't know how much the Wachowskis had thought through what their future plans for the movies were or anything like that, but it is the kind of sequel where you could really go anywhere do anything like you know the movie's sort yeah. of like promising this like incredible open world i mean neo's literally promising it in his monologue like it's the beginning of something um and uh you know maybe that's what sort of did the movies in obviously it's part of what you know helps the movie stay so relevant and helps people like you know tell their friends to go see it and come you know this movie was one of those weird movies that was number one at the box office, went down to number two, and then went back up to number one. Like, you know, it was one of those crazy word-of-mouth movies that you don't get a lot of in Hollywood. Um, and uh, <sighs> But it was 1999. Yeah. People only had words of mouth. They didn't... There was no other method of communication <laughs> There was no back other... Then. Yeah. Really? Don't you remember? Yeah. What, is the what is the What is the Matrix.com? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. That was a, an early good movie website. Um <laughs> I think it had like it was a bunch of spinning, dancing babies, and uh, there was a <laughs> flying yeah. toaster or two, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, there yeah. was a part that was under construction. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it reminds me actually the the ending of the movie. The feeling I had very similar to the feeling I had watching Unbreakable for the first yeah. time, where you you get to the end of this incredible experience that's thrilling and and surprising and revelatory and feels like something fresh and new. And you get to the end of it and you go, I haven't even seen the best part of this story yet. Right. This is a setup for the best part of the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Devendra, any closing thoughts for us? Closing thoughts. I perfect ending. I, I love this movie completely. I will say real quick, what makes this movie special, I think is that it is, it is the union of so many different types of pop culture. And this is not something we've seen very often, but when it works and when it clicks, it is hugely successful. So you think back to like Star Wars and what that did to like bring together pulp novels and like early sci-fi, uh, Indiana Jones, of course. And um, I think maybe in, in a certain sense, like the Marvel movies have done that in a in the way the Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of brought together comic book pop culture into movies and kind of had made that work. I just think the matrix is such a perfect example of that and such a milestone because of that. All right. Well, I totally. think we, yeah, can, we I, can wrap it up. I, and, and, Go ahead, Jeff. Well, just quickly as to the question of, of, you know, does it hold up? 
Uh, I think that, you know, seriously, there are some, honestly, there are some, there are some digital effects that are a little dated, you know, uh, a mouth that sticks together in a pretty rough way, you know, it'd be nice to have some re remastered effects at some points in these movie, but overall, I mean, it is, it is timeless storytelling in a lot of ways. You, you know, you talk about phone booths and, you know, there it's still cool when you push a push a button on a handheld phone and the pop bottom pops out. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's still cool. I miss that. Yeah, yeah. but um, a, a lot of it is done practically. Like when they do the lobby shootout right. scene, a lot of that stuff is like they detonated <laughs> things in a thing that looks like a lobby, right? And it, right. it shows, and and I think a lot of the film has aged extremely well, in my opinion. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I think I for me, you, you know, Davinci, you talk about this pantheon of of movies like that. It, for me, it's like star Wars, the matrix, Mad Max Fury road. I, and, and I wish that Mad Max Fury road sort of had that cultural footprint that the matrix and star Wars seem to have had. Uh, I don't, I don't think it has, but, uh, I think yeah. those are the movies that for me are like on my Mount Rushmore of, you know, huge, uh, uh, pillars of genre action storytelling. All right. Well, uh, we've got to wrap things up there, um, but you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang uh, and produced by Baby Zhang. And uh, stay tuned here. We'll be discussing next week on the Slash Filmcast. In the meantime, David Sims, where yeah. can people find more of your work? On the internet, I'm I'm a staff writer at the Atlantic, and you can find my work there most days. Uh, and my podcast is Blank Check. Please check us out. Uh, we've uh, been going for years. We do directors' filmographies, film by film. Me and my co-host Griffin Newman, and I'm on Twitter at David L Sims. All right, very cool. And you can check out David's piece about the Matrix at the Atlantic. It's called "A Movie Like the Matrix uh, Might Never Happen Again." And also, I'm just going to say, like, if you like Blank Check. Uh, I mean, I hope you like Blank Check because we might have a Blank Check-related guest on the podcast next week as well. So huh. I'm just going yeah, to throw that out intriguing. there as well. All right, Jeff Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast as well. That is called DLC. You can get it wherever you get fine podcasts or by visiting 5x5.tv slash DLC. How about you, Devendra? Oh, at Devendra on Twitter, and I write about techandgadget.com. I'm doing a tech show at nomoretech.net as well, so check that out. And David Sims, I just want to say, uh, I hope you've noticed we did not make fun of where you grew up. This is a safe space. Hell Please yeah. Come back. yeah. Thank you. That's right. I saw this film in England when I was 13 years old. <laughs> I bought a ticket to She's All That, and then I snuck in. Nice. This was rated 15, which so is the good. British yeah. rating. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. Find all of my stuff at DaveChen.net. Subscribe to get emails from me at DaveChen.net slash letters. Next week, the podcast will be reviewing Shazam. Shazam. Uh, Shazam. Actually, I think it's Shazam with an exclamation point. Um, yeah. I will unfortunately not be here on the podcast next week, but I will leave it in your gentleman's very capable hands, and we will have a guest next week, uh, and it will be an exciting one. So oh, Dave uh, will not be here, but a an older... Must, much more muscular guy who looks a lot like Dave Will. Mm. It's a strange. Nice. Wait, by the guy from Chuck for some reason? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, okay. Thanks for listening to Siphon Cast. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks, for the good, bad. It's the Siphon Cast. For all the news and the movies coming out.
our farm is a dairy farm. We only use organic feed. The cows produce, you know, quality organic milk. Yet all our hens are RSPCA insured, free to roam in and out of the sheds throughout the day. They lay a lovely yolk. The key to our beef cattle is looking after their, their welfare, keeping them happy. At McDonald's, we're proud to source quality ingredients from over 23,000 farmers from across the UK and Ireland. Good to know.